0: I'm going to share a message with you today that I've done something a little bit different than I normally do. Uh, I just decided on a whim, I got up at 5.15, or got up this morning at 5 o'clock, and at 5.15 I decided uh, to give you some images and things to go with this message today uh, because some of what I'm going to talk about is going to tell a little bit about my age. Some of these younger people are not going to have a clue who some of these people are that will go on the screen here in just a few moments, but some of you are going to tell on yourself too because you're going to know uh, who they are and you're going to tell your age, but um, you all know me and you know the Lord just speaks to me out of just the normal circumstances of life and He's definitely uh, been talking to me this week and so I've got a message I want to share with you today. If you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to read two verses of Scripture, uh, Jeremiah 6 and 16 and then Joshua 24 and 15, which is where we were last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit that uh, as we go into this message today. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 says this, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. Then Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 says this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, let's say this together, we will serve the Lord. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning, a message I have just simply titled, Home. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father. We just love you. We thank you. We praise you for your presence, the opportunity to preach your word today. God, I know that you have a word for your people, so I'm asking for the next few moments that you would just decrease me, move me out of the way, increase your anointing within me. Father, anoint these lips to speak your word, not with man's wisdom, but let it come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit today. Anoint every ear to hear your word and every heart to receive what you're speaking to your church, to your people this day. We we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated today. Most of you know what my family and I have been doing this past week. We have moved out of a house that we spent almost the last 21 years in together. And You might have even read the post that I shared about our house on social media this past Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday was the day before the movers came, and um, but if, even if you read it, I want to share it with you this morning, uh, what I posted on social media, just want to read through it to you if you'll oblige me the opportunity. I simply said, it's hard to believe we have one more sleep left in this house, and just a few more days before everything will be out, and another young, beautiful family will begin a new life here. This house, though, it's the second house that Angie and I built together. It's the house that was anointed and prayed over before we moved in when we were still newlyweds, just over three years of marriage. It's the only house our children have ever known. This house has hosted hundreds of gatherings, birthday parties, summer holiday cookouts, Thanksgivings, Christmas Eves, New Year's celebrations, choir parties, work and church staff parties, slumber parties, and just because parties. It's the house my mother came to every Friday night for years when she was living to babysit her grandchildren while she forced Angie and I out the door to date because it was her philosophy that everyone should continue to date their spouse, and she was right. But also because she wanted this house and her grandchildren to herself, and she just didn't want us here. She didn't care where we went as long as we left and didn't come back until she had put them to bed. It's the house that Papa Edgar and Mamma Thelma came to often when they were living for just random visits back when the world still knew what it was like to just sit on the porch or the patio and talk. It's the house that has always been just two doors down from nanny and poppies. And because of that, both us and our children have been blessed to see them almost daily and had the convenience of walking house to house at any time we or they want. It's the house that multiple people gathered in at various times to pray for me when I was diagnosed with a blood disorder. After having a massive blood clot, three surgical procedures, and a 17-day hospital stay over 13 years ago. It's the house that was flooded with food, love, prayers, and support when my mother went to heaven almost 13 years ago now. It's the house that I laid on my face in the floor and prayed in my bonus room home office until I soaked the carpet in tears when I knew God was calling me to plant and pastor Freedom Point Church. It's the house that has hosted literally thousands of Holy Spirit-filled prayer meetings where nobody but me and the Lord were present. Until the Lord blessed us with Bentley, our dog or third child, almost eight years ago now, and I'm convinced that he has learned what fervent prayer is all about. He may or may not have been a little shook, though, with his first few experiences. Tons of memories, lots of answered prayers, and loads of love have flowed through this house for many years. But at the end of the day, it's just a house. Those things I've been reminiscing about are what makes a house a home. Yes, I'm the sentimental one, and I'll probably shed a few tears after we turn the keys over and pull out of the driveway for the last time, and I did. But I couldn't be happier for the sweet family that will soon occupy this house. Three beautiful children will once again fill its walls with playfulness and laughter. And mom and dad, who also love the Lord, will pray for direction and get many answers in this house as they desire to raise their children in the ways of the Lord. I pray they make tons of awesome memories together, experience lots of answered prayers, And share loads of love between themselves as well as others right here in this house. I pray for them to enjoy making this house a home as much as we did. For now, let's go work a while today and then finish getting this house packed and ready for the movers tomorrow. It's time to make another house our home. Happy tears. As the move began to take place, that statement soon became a reality. Very, very early in the morning for a few days until very late at night for three long days, we labored in that move, it seems. And just before I sat down to type this sermon uh, yesterday morning around 1030 while Angie was still working, I finished up the last few things that were left to do in the house that we're renting while we're renovating another house, and I texted her some pics because we're going to be in this house for a few months. and She had no idea what the Lord had been stirring in me this week, she had no idea Uh, the message title that was already in my mind. She had no idea of of what was taking place in me spiritually as we were moving, but she replied to the pics that I sent her with, looks more like, and then she put quotation marks around the word and capitalized it all, home. And I was sitting there typing this sermon, and I I, I knew uh, that was even confirmation for what the Lord had been speaking to me all week. Now, with that said, We live in a modern society. I'm going to throw a cliche at you that everybody's heard, uh, regardless of how you feel about it. Uh, What the Bible says is right is right, and what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. Can I hear an amen? But you've heard this cliche many times, uh, my body, my choice, right? And the Lord really kind of rang in my ears, your home, your choice. I want to speak to you today for a few moments about your home. Joshua, in this passage of Scripture, made a choice for his home. His choice was for his household to serve one God only, to worship one God only. It was a choice that he had to make against idolatry, and it was a choice made for faithfulness. Regardless of the choices of others, Joshua's wife and his children knew which direction that Joshua was going to lead them in. And the challenges of Joshua's day are no less than those that we find ourselves living among today. We have to choose to live according to God's design for us, the design that He has written out for us in His Word. This is our life instruction manual. We have to make a choice, though, to live according to God's design for us in our homes and in our families. Because can I tell you that the order is God first, then your family, and then the church. Did you know that? A lot of times we get that out of order. Some people think it's God then the church, I've even missed that myself at times and had to be reminded. We thought that it was God, then the church, and then the family, but it's God, and then the family next, and then the church. Your home is vitally important. So I want to ask you the question today, is Christ the head of your house? As you look at your home, is Christ the head of your house? Is he the unseen guest at every single meal? Is he the silent listener to every conversation? See, America's number one problem today, and how many knows that our nation, our country, is in trouble? How many knows that? Morally, ethically, and spiritually, our country as a whole is in trouble. And America's number one problem, I believe this wholeheartedly, starts and begins at home. That is where our number one problem starts. It is the breakdown of the family as we know it. Now, a lot of people want to say, well, that, that we I just have a dysfunctional family. Or there's dysfunction in my family. We've all got dysfunction in our family. We can all quickly identify a dysfunctional member. Give me an amen, somebody, of your family. But I want you to think about that for a second. The excuse that we make many times By using the word dysfunctional. Uh, We describe it as a dysfunctional family. If that's the case then uh, of society's top problem, then our highest priority as a church must be to build functional, fundamental families from the inside out. If we are Freedom Point Church because our heart's desire is to see people set free by the power of God, free to love, free to serve, and free to worship, then our number one mission has got to start with building functional families. While I'm there, let me say this. If you have not been participating in the online discipleship that we do, let me encourage you and remind you that even though we can't assemble together in some of these tiny classrooms that we have in this facility, We are still doing online discipleship and it's made available to if you can't do it at the time it's actually live. You can go back and do it later. Uh, Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock we have NPK ministry and ESM ministry and the adult Sunday school class ministry that are all live on Facebook. You can watch them then or you can watch them later. By the way, if you didn't get a chance to watch the adult Sunday school class yesterday, you need to go back to the adult Sunday school Facebook page and watch that. The class yesterday, uh, Sister Karen did a excellent job teaching on how Christians are supposed to ret- respond to politics. If you didn't watch it, you need to go back and watch it. It was very, very good because we have a responsibility as Christians. Yes, we stand for the right, but we have a responsibility on how we voice and take that stand. William Bennett calls the family the fundamental unit of civilization. The family is the fundamental unit of civilization. Now I want to share with you, everybody has heard of Dr. James Dobson, focus on the family. I want you to look at what Dr. James Dobson said. He said, it is my view that our society can be no more stable than the foundation of individual family units upon which it rests. Our government, our uh, institutions, our schools. Indeed, our way of life are dependent on healthy marriages and loyalty to the vulnerable little children around our feet. Think about that. That is our responsibility. Uh, Since the advent of television, though, since television was invented, there's been a wide variety of depictions of the family on TV. So I'm going to share some with you this morning. Some of them will be comical. Some of them won't be so comical. Some of them will be like, ew, some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. But uh, I want you're going to tell your age on, on some of these that you know. And some of our younger kids are not going to have a clue what I'm talking about. But shows on television that had a wide variety of depictions of the family. First of all, Ozzie and Harriet. How many remember that one? Anybody in the building? I remember reruns. I don't remember the originals, but I saw some hands that probably remember the originals. What about this classic, Leave It to Beaver? How many know that one? Everybody knows the Andy Griffith Show, right? All right. What about the Waltons? What about this next family? What's their name? The Ingalls. Then what about the Andersons, Father Knows Best? Anybody remember that one? What about this next one, the Bunkers? Everybody knows Archie Bunker. And then, what about this? The Brady Bunch. I told Jonna and Chris they just need one more. One more. They'll make the the Fusen Bunch. What about the Partridge Family? How many remembers that one? This next one, I know most of you are definitely going to remember. How many remember Sanford and Son? Maybe you may feel like your family's like this one the Munsters. Or if not that one, maybe this one. How many remembers the Jeffersons? This is a good example of a blended family because even though Florence was not family, she was the housekeeper, she was family nonetheless, right? Some of us take people into our families. Then, of course, everybody knows the famous Clampets, the Beverly Hillbillies. Then there were the Huxtables. When I was growing up, I remember Felicia Rashad, Uh, Florence Henderson on the Brady Bunch, and uh, June Cleaver, whoever the original actress was that played her, they were all three like the the perfect example of the American mom. Everybody remembers them. Then I told you there's some that's not so good, so how many knows this one? Or maybe you're a fan of this family. They may not be so good, but they're funny. The Connors. Then this next one, not so good. The Bundys. How many remembers the Bundys? The Bundys. I always thought this one was a classic. How many members of the Tanner family? Yep. And then maybe some of you don't tell on yourself in church or friends of this family. And then when I really got to thinking about this next one, don't put it up there yet, this really concerned me because a lot of our kids, I know I've heard them talk about it, have grown up watching this next one. And I had to do some due diligence to find a picture on social media That was church friendly. That's the truth. But a lot of our kids have grown up watching, keeping up with the Kardashians. Those are just to name a few. Some good and some not so good. But all of them have depicted and influenced the family as we know it. Now one of my favorite presidents, this is what he had to say, President Ronald Reagan, said the family has always been the cornerstone of American society. Our families nurture, preserve, and pass on to each succeeding generation the values that we share and cherish. Values that are the foundation of our freedoms. When I began to think about that, I began to think about the condition of the modern family, the condition of the majority of the homes in this country today. And for some reason, I started with Uh, words that begin with the letter D, and I just went on right through some words that just came to my mind. And I'm not going to put all these scriptures on the screen, but I'm going to give you some references that you can jot them down and come back to them later on so that you know what they were. But first of all, how many people knows the modern family today is distracted? Easily distracted. Our attention is diverted, and we are taken off course from what we are supposed to be, who we are supposed to be, and how we are supposed to be. But Isaiah 53 and 6 puts us all in the same category. Here's what it says. We all, say all, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways. The modern family is easily distracted and drawn away. What does the Bible say? Sin is conceived when we are driven away of our own lust and enticed when we are distracted by our own lust the modern day family unfortunately many of them are also divided how many knows that's the truth Uh, I thought one of the things that that sister Karen brought out yesterday was so good because she talked about how that if you were raised in a home of a certain political affiliation most of the time back in that generation you came out to be whatever that political affiliation was because of the home you were raised in That's not necessarily the case in today's society. As a matter of fact, it's quite different amongst the current generation, which is just now 17, 18, and 19 years old. A lot of them, and I believe they ought to think for themselves, and I believe they ought to search their own uh, beliefs and opinions, but a lot of them uh, are not of anywhere close to the same conservative opinion possibly or liberal opinion of their parents, whichever the case may be, they're the opposite uh, of that opinion. They're divided right within the home politically. They're also divided within the home on other issues. But what does Matthew chapter, or sorry, Mark chapter 3 and verse 25 tells us in the New Living Translation? I love the way this is worded. It says, a family, you know, one translation, King James says a house divided against itself won't stand. But the New Living Translation says this: a family, because he wasn't talking about the house, he's talking about the home. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Let that sink in. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So the modern day family is distracted. The modern day family is divided. And I think most all of us would agree the modern day family is disrespectful. Disrespectful uh, in general to society. Titus 3 and 3 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I've never seen a time where a younger, the younger generation, and I'm not blaming it all on the young people, but I've never seen a time where they are more disrespectful than they are today. They don't have respect for authority. We still, according to God's word, the way I read it, are subject to those that have authority over us. We do have authority over us spiritually, but also uh, governmentally. And the Bible says that God, Daniel said, that God is the one who appoints princes and kings and judges and puts them in place. God raises them up, but guess what? If they don't do right, God also tears them down. God is in control. It's our responsibility to be subject to authority. And not be disrespectful. The modern family is also, as we've already talked about, dysfunctional. James chapter 3 verses 14 through 16 says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, The New Living Translation says. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder and evil of every kind. I've never seen a time where people are jealous and envious of what somebody else has. That's one of the worst things about social media. It makes, some people make their life look all wonderful. All hunky-dory. And they love to flaunt all of their toys and the fancy things that they have. And then other people though get jealous, they get envious, wives begin to think my husband don't make enough money or children begin to think my parents don't give me what everybody else has. But you know what, if we were teaching the fundamentals of the Bible in our home, the Apostle Paul said, we've got to learn to be content in whatsoever state that we are. Whatever God has blessed you with, learn to be content. Learn to be thankful, because when you learn to do that, then God will bless you when you're content and thankful for what He's given you, and then you turn around, yes, I'm going to preach this, you turn around and do what the Bible instructs you to do, and that is to honor God with the first fruits of your increase. It's called a tithe. The Bible says when you give that to God, when you're content with what you have, you give back to Him what He requires, Then the Bible says He'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You don't have enough room to contain. It's God's Word. When we do it, He'll bless us. Amen. Dysfunctional. Boy, I didn't get much of an amen on that. That's okay, though. Let's talk about dysfunction, what it means. Dysfunction actually means dangerous. Did you realize that? The first syllable in that word, dis, means dangerous. So a dysfunctional family is one that is functioning Dangerously. Well, who's it dangerous for, you might ask? Number one, it's dangerous for the children. Dysfunctional families are dangerous for the children. One study found that children of dysfunctional homes have behavior problems. Find it more difficult to adjust. They make lower grades, have a higher dropout rate from school, and a higher rate of pregnancy out of wedlock. First of all, they have behavior problems this society acts like they cannot control their children maybe this is step on toes I don't know this society people will actually look at you and say I don't know what to do with them well for some reason my mama didn't have a problem knowing what to do with me She beat the tar, however you want to spell it, out of me. She would be, even when I grew up and was 16 years old and was bigger, weighed more and was bigger than I am right now, and thought that she wasn't going to be able to tell me what to do, she would grab an equalizer. How many knows what an equalizer is? Whether it was a broom, young people, she busted a window out of my bedroom one time swinging at me with a broom. I ain't lying. Whether it was a broom, whether it was something else, a ball bat, a stick, whatever, she didn't have a problem bringing me under subjection and showing me who was in control. What would you say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. That's just horrible. Who would do a child like that? What do you think the Bible meant when it said, spare the rod and spoil the child? We've got a problem in society today and in the home whereby our children are not experiencing any discipline. I know this is not popular. They're getting timeouts or, honey, please don't do that. Or why do you have to do that when what they need to be getting is what the Bible says. that They need disciplinary action from a responsible disciplinarian that will teach them how to behave and act. That's the only way they'll become responsible productive citizens. If you're saying today I don't know what I'm going to do with them, I promise you when they grow up and they're addicted to drugs, they've had multiple pregnancies but out of wedlock and they've got they've been married multiple times, they change spouses like they change their shoes, they change jobs like they change their well, I hope they change those, but anyway, they change jobs too rapidly. They're dedicated to nothing. If you wonder why, It's because there's not been a foundation in the home. Now, sometimes parents raise their children. I realize that. They raise them right, and then they can't can't control what they do. I get that when they grow up. But many times, the case is they've never been controlled. So they're not going to start being controlled now. Secondly, who's it dangerous for? It's dangerous for husbands and wives. Domestic violence between spouses. Here's another one that's going to hit close to home. When I was raised, I was told, from the time I was a child, it did not matter what a girl did to me, a boy never hit a girl. Never. Nowadays, we've got parents telling their kids, when they're first grade, second grade, third grade, whatever, if she hits you, knock her brains out. If she slaps you, slap her back. And then we wonder why when they grow up and they get a spouse or a significant other and then they don't do exactly everything they want them to do or something they do displeases them, they smack around on them and beat around on them like they're a rag doll. We wonder why. It's because there's been no foundation in the home and the home hasn't been built the way it should have been built and it's a a reflection on society. So then we have domestic violence between spouses then it's also dangerous for society as a whole. This is a fact. Over half of the people arrested in this nation within the last 12 months were under the age of 25. Over half. Since 1965, juvenile crime rate has soared at a whopping 175% rate. As families become dysfunctional, there is a threat to a nation's well-being. That is why, here I go, they think it's acceptable to do violent protest, to burn, to loot, to destroy, to beat, and to kill, because they've been taught that nothing's wrong, anything goes, and then you even have people that will justify Grown adults that will justify that kind of behavior. But my Bible tells me you cannot repay evil with evil and get the blessing of God. You cannot uh, you cannot fight fire with fire unless you want to be burned. This country is in a sad condition, and unless we get some things in order, you say, Pastor, why are you preaching on such a broad spectrum today? I'll tell you why. Because as I look, thought about the condition that our country is in as a whole, our nation, my Lord in heaven, even in, I don't even want to get into the political aspect of it, just the condition morally, ethically, and spiritually, as a nation if we will start at our home, if something begins at our home, then it will affect our schools and our churches. When it affects our schools and our churches, then it will affect our communities. When it affects our communities, then it will affect our region. When it affects our region, then it affects the state. And when it affects our state, then it affects the nation. But the responsibility starts and the change starts and the hope for tomorrow starts at home. Somebody say Amen. So if we're going to do that, we have to, first of all, establish some house rules. Anybody have some house rules when you were growing up? There were just certain things you didn't do. Our house rules need to be clearly defined roles and expectations. Judges 21 and 25 says this. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. That's how they got in a bad shape. It don't work that way. Habakkuk 2 and 2 says, write the vision. Make it clear on tablets so that anyone can read it quickly. It's our responsibility to establish some house rules that are clearly defined roles and expectations within the home. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I know it probably won't be popular, but the parent needs to be the parent. If you're going to be, I, I realize we're having family worship, so I'll be careful as to how I say this. The, the, the small kids are not in children's church, but if you're going to be adult enough to do the deed, Be man or woman enough to raise the child. The parent has got to be the parent. I I thought this was interesting. I didn't put a picture. I must have looked over this one uh, of this quote up there because I I, I threw it in here. And I don't have a picture for it. I apologize. But I I thought it was really interesting. I want you to listen to what Edward, the Duke of Windsor, said uh, about America. He said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. Think about that. I see that a lot. We need to establish house rules that have a clearly defined, clearly defined the roles and the expectations. We need to have a strong commitment to one another. That's a word that's not preached about much anymore. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 says, when you do things, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourselves. Don't be interested uh, and give more honor to others. Uh, Don't be interested just in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. When I was growing up, my mama would tell me, I know they did you wrong. I know what they did wasn't right, but you still treat them good. You still show them love, and you still show them respect. We need to raise our children to prefer others above themselves. Another passage of Scripture says this. But before you get all excited, men, it goes two ways. And you can't separate one statement from the other. James said, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now go ahead, men. Give you a big hearty amen. You're wanting to right now. Now some of you are scared to open your mouth. Ha ha. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. But watch this. Husbands, love your wives and never... Treat them harshly, just like Christ loved the church. Listen to this one. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they'll become discouraged. Don't be difficult to live with, to where nothing pleases you. Because listen, at the end of the day, family is not just an important thing. Outside of Jesus, family is everything. It's God, the family, and then the church. There's no place like home when the people who live there make building one another their highest priority. We need to establish house rules that are consistent uh, and considerate, uh, that have consistent and considerate communication. Ephesians 4 and 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Some of y'all know what you say at home when you think nobody's there. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. James 1 and 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We need to establish house rules that represent an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that word kind of rang in my ears this week. It was a few months ago or several months ago now, I guess, Uh Chris Fusen and I were talking on the parking lot after he first came here one Sunday after church. And he made the statement to me about, he said, Pastor, this church is so authentic. And that word just rang in my ears. That means that, means that it is legit. That means that it's really what it says it is. First John 4:19 says, we love each other because he first loved us. But watch this, Psalm 128 and 1 through 6 in the message says this, All you who fear God, how blessed you are. How happily you walk on his smooth straight road. You worked hard and you deserved all you've got coming. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in your goodness. Your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh and as promising as young olive shoots. Stand in awe of God's yes. Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem every day of your life. And enjoy your grandchildren. Peace to Israel uh, is what he said. An authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just say this? People know when your Sunday church relationship is a farce. People know when it's a phony. When they know that you say that you're part of the faith family at Freedom Point Church. And then you go to the restaurant on Sunday for dinner. And the waitress can't do anything right. You stay on tour the whole time through the meal. You spent $50 on food, but when you pay your tip, you leave $2 or $3. And then when you leave, they say, my goodness, I'm so thankful they're gone. I hope I never see them again. People know when your relationship is a phony or a farce. Because if you've truly got a, an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ will be on display whether you're here whether you're home or whether you're out in the the community. Say amen, somebody. There's no doubt. Here's what Winston Churchill said. I love this quote. Winston Churchill said, There's no doubt that it is around the family and home that all the greatest virtues, the most dominating virtues of human society are created, strengthened, and maintained. We ought to live in such a way that brings blessings to our home. 2 Samuel 6, 9-11 So David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. For three months the most awesome symbol of God's presence was seated in Obed-Edom's home. They're going to put it on the screen for you. For three months, the Ark of the Covenant was seated in Obed-Edom's home. Now this box was the most sacred uh, ornament uh, or article, if you will, in all of Israel's history. This was the most sacred thing. It was the most powerful object On the face of the earth, this small box that measured four foot long by two and a half foot wide by two and a half feet deep was the focal point in this home. And I'm certain, beyond doubt, that this box changed the way they lived in Obed-Edom's house. Because this box was so holy, nobody could touch it. If they touched it, they died they were constantly aware of God's presence in their home. Every day for three months, they were aware, every time they looked at this thing, that God was living with them. God was lodging with them. And when God's presence is welcomed and encouraged in a home, that home will be truly blessed. Now, in most of our homes... We've all got a box that's the focal point, too. Most of the time, the furniture points toward it. And too often, our focus is, or our attention is too focused upon that box. And I want to tell you today, it has the power to shape our home, to form our children, To corrupt our values, to disturb our relationships, and control our lives. In many homes, the TV times is read more often than the Word of God is read. And this is not an anti-TV message because I enjoy some TV. But I want to tell you something. Angie and I, how many Netflix out there? Angie and I are a little bit new to Netflix. We found some series that we like. But one day, my children are uh, avid Netflixers. And one day... Uh, I, I sat at home, I was by myself, and uh, just periodically throughout the day, I just searched for, di- after we started watching a series or two, I searched for different things out there. And my, oh my, some of the things that I found that were available on Netflix. And my first thought was, how many parents turn their tech savvy six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, and nine-year-olds loose? with a Netflix account and let them sit in front of it and let that box represent to them how a man's supposed to act or how a woman's supposed to act or how a family's supposed to be because that box is shaping and changing many lives. But I want to tell you something today. The box at the center of Obed-Edom's house brought blessings. It reminded them daily of God's presence and His goodness to Israel, His faithfulness, His promises, His covenant, His power, and His glory. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it's fine to have a TV. I have one. It's fine to watch it. But don't let it become the focus of your life Or your children's life. Because if you want the blessings of God, you put the power, the glory, the covenant, the promises, and the faithfulness of God as the center of attention in your home. And God will bless that house. Hallelujah. Now inside, and I'm going to close here in just a moment. I'm almost done. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, there were three items. We're going to look at them. I'm going to talk about them real quick. First of all, the three items was in the order, uh, if you're looking up here from right to left, was the two stone tablets of the law that was given to Moses. That was inside the Ark of the Covenant. What's that represent? That represents the Word of God in your home. The Word of God in your home. The second thing in there was uh, Aaron's uh, budding staff. What, what does that represent? That represents godly leadership in your home. Dads, you are the priest of your home. I heard a lot of female amens. Men, you are the priest of your home. It is your responsibility to lead that home in a godly way. If you men won't help me land them, Will, he'll preach on you with me. It's your responsibility to have godly leadership, make sure it's a part of your home. And the third thing that was in there was a jar of manna. From Israel's wilderness. And it represents God's provision in our homes. When God's word is the center of your home. I'm giving you a good formula. When godly leadership is present in your home. Then God's provision will be in your home. Um, Each of these three things I believe need to be represented in our home. And when they are we too will be just like Obed-Edom and we'll be blessed. And in this house... God was acknowledged, he was valued, and he was treasured. Jacob, who we read of earlier, valued the worship of God and his family. In Genesis 35 and 3, he said, I will build an altar to God. I want to ask you the question Do you have an altar in your home? Is there a place where you go to pray, mom and dad, that your children know what you're doing and where you are? Have they heard you pray? Do they see you pray? Build an altar to God. As they come to the music this morning. We need to drive the dysfunction out of our homes. And the way that we do that is, first of all, we got to get God's input. With so many experts running around with all their ideas and their inventions it can sometimes be confusing to know who to listen to and the Bible specifically outlines God's original design for the family and as long as we live according to His will we can avoid the world's less than perfect lifestyle and we can live in His perfect peace peace can anybody use some peace today but we got to get God's input we got to get God's input when you make decisions in your home get God's input yeah I told you how big of a deal it was for me I read the post to you it's kind of even though we knew it was on the market for quite a while to part ways with that house and walk away it was kind of it was just it was just a, a bonding thing to me it was difficult To walk away but the Lord gave me peace about it and this is the one of the first things I was reminded of we were supposed to close back in April and had a closing date and just a few days before closing we were notified of some terrible terrible circumstances with the couple that was buying the house just terrible stuff that I won't get into and so it fell through and Angie and I looked at each other, and we talked about it, and we said, are we missing God? Are we not supposed to sell this house? Because if we're not supposed to, God wants us here, we'll stay here. We'll take the sign out of the yard, and we'll stay here. We're content. We just felt like it was time to go. So we, we did what Gideon did. We put a fleece out before the Lord. That was on a Wednesday night. We talked about it, and we prayed about it. We prayed together. I'll never forget it. Before we went to sleep that night, we prayed. We said, God, if, it's, if we're missing your will, and we're not supposed to sell this house. You let us know. Matter of fact, we knew about that that Wednesday, and I even called somebody else that I thought might have been interested that said, you know, it's just not for us. And we thought, you know what? Are we missing your will, God? God, if, if we're missing your will, then we, we want to know. But if it's your will for us to sell this house, it's going back on the market, on the Internet, on the market tomorrow morning. If it's your will for us to sell it, God, we want an answer by the weekend. We want to know by the weekend Barb Flannery's sitting back there and she can tell you if I'm lying I'm dying on Thursday morning at 9am we prayed that on Wednesday night when we went to sleep on Thursday morning at 9am our house went back on the market by 5pm on Friday evening we had three options to choose from for purchases God confirmed his word but what did we do We asked for God's input. We consulted God for His input. Do you know what kind of peace that brings when you consult God for His input? And then next, you need to make the Word of God the final authority in your home. To be a functional family in the plan of God, we got to live according to kingdom principles. we got to ask the questions, what's right for this situation according to the kingdom? How can this problem be solved with a kingdom mindset? When we seek the kingdom of God, we can expect... God's promises. Uh, Matthew 6 and 33 tells us, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. But you've got to make the word of God the final authority. That's why when it comes to this church being a house of worship or a home of worship, we can't be like a lot of other people and him haw around situations and circumstances and make people think that they're alright and on their way to heaven when we know they're not. Hello, I've seen too many churches that, yes, we know what's right and what's wrong, so I don't understand why, because of political situations, why people want to shy away from preaching against abortion. It's wrong. I don't know why people want to shy away from preaching against same-sex marriage. It's wrong. I don't know why people want to shy away from preaching against uh, living together out of wedlock. It's wrong. I'm telling you right now, if God spoke to us last week and said last Monday was year eight, day one. And it's a new season of ministry. I'm telling you today, we've got to make a decision going forward that we're going to stand for the Word of God regardless of who it offends. And we're going to preach the Word of God, the unadulterated, uncompromising Word of God because that's the only way we'll see the sinner set free, the drug addict delivered, the homosexual saved. That's the only way we'll see it is by the uncompromising Word of the Lord. We have to stand on the word. It's got to start in our homes and it's got to be in this house of worship. If you'll stand with me all over the house. I want to exhort you today to exalt God in your home. Be an example of Christ's likeness in your home. Encourage faithfulness in your home. Educate your children in the ways of God in your home. Establish godly values in your home. Make your house a home. Give your family a stable home. But whatever you do, don't make this world